0: And and I and I think it's appropriate to to remind listeners that if Africa were to disappear from the face of the Earth tomorrow, we would still have a climate crisis. And so, you know, the the, the point of of where do where does the the transition need to take place? Uh, you know, is 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 part of that reflection, uh, which is it. it it, it certainly needs to make strides in in those countries and in those regions that are that are the largest contributors um, to to the the, the global uh, carbon budget. And
1: that was Glenn Pierce Oros, who is Sustainable Energy for All Senior Director of International Relations and Special Projects. And this is the Power for All podcast. Welcome to the Power for All podcast. It's a forum for leaders working to end energy poverty. I'm your host today, Christina Skerka, founder and CEO of Power for All. Uh, Today in our first podcast of 2022, we'll be looking at market trends in the decentralized renewable energy sector. See, every year here at Power for All, we ask our partners to predict what is hot and what is not in the year ahead. It's a pleasure to have Glenn Pierce Oroz here with us today, who leads se for alls strategic development of high-level engagement with partners to shape global agendas and leverage country-based activities to discuss some of these trends. Uh, before he joined se for all Glenn spent about 15 years with World Bank, where he worked in urban development and water and sanitation sectors across several regions, uh, including Africa and Latin America. So uh, before we get into hearing some more of Glenn's background, I just want to have a shout out to those joining us for the first time uh, and share the, a little bit about Power for All. So we're a global campaign of over 300 partners around the world, including Sustainable Energy for All, and dedicated to ending energy poverty faster. You can learn more about the campaign on our website, our socials, and of course, by subscribing to the series wherever you find your podcasts. As a 501c3 organization, Power for All depends greatly on the generosity of listeners like you. So please consider supporting our work and donate at powerforall.org donate. With that, it's my pleasure to welcome Glenn. Welcome.
0: Thanks so much, Christina. Uh, great to be here.
1: Yeah, it's so great to have you. Um, and before we get into the the reason everybody's here, uh, which is the discussion of trends for twenty twenty two, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you. Yeah, uh, you know, we're so lucky to have many interesting and accomplished people on the cast that our listeners are always hungry to learn more about how leaders like you got where you are today. So, so tell us a little bit about your career path.
0: So, uh, thanks very much, Christina, for for that question. And and when I think about it. And I, I, I look back on the the twenty five plus years that I've that I've um, been evolving in my professional space. One thing that comes out clearly is I've always been uh, tolerant of a healthy dose of risk taking, and so this has has allowed me, I think, to move in different directions, uh, to be comfortable with uh, different opportunities. The trick, in my view, is how do you identify those opportunities that will really be strategic for you uh, in what you're interested in, what you're learning, um, and also how do you build momentum from one opportunity to the next? I, and fortunately for me, I, I've, been, I've been able to uh, look at, at how my experience, uh, for example, when I first started uh, in Chile, uh, led to my first uh, job in, in the World Bank, Uh, And and began began working in Brazil, a country I had not worked in before. Great experience working in the Brazilian Amazon, uh, getting my uh, cutting my teeth on uh, bank processes, Uh, and then from there moving forward to different positions. I had I worked a a bit with USAID in Central America um, right after Hurricane Mitch reconstruction, uh, and and that certainly led me to. Another stint at the World Bank, where I, I started working more on urban development and, and uh, water resources. And then eventually uh, to Africa, uh, which was uh, a region that I was less familiar with, but was willing to take that risk. So seeing how you can build from one opportunity to the next, uh, I think, is, is, is really uh, helpful in, in order to, to build your career and, and experience different parts of development. Uh, because they're, they're all needed. At the end of the day, they're all needed. I, and certainly what we do here at SE for All is, is different than what I was doing at the World Bank. But we need both pieces. I, and, and, uh, we need, we need to know how to make best use of those pieces. And that's hopefully what I've been doing. Uh, in my time here at uh, Sustainable Energy for All.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's really uh, interesting to hear about. At some point, we're going to have to compare notes on South America. I lived in Argentina myself for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, very different culture. But what, what I think is interesting about what you've laid out is the importance of trying things. And there's actually a really interesting book called Range that's about how some of the best leaders today are people who have tried and dabbled in a bunch of different areas before they've really, you know, focused in on on their career. And it sounds like that's been an enormous benefit to you. Um, So thank you for that. Uh, Really interesting to to get to know some of your backstory. Um, But let's get into the meat of our discussion today. Uh, And so we want to start with uh, some events that will only unfold at the end of this year, which of course is the COP, uh, hosted on the African continent in November. Um, And we've heard from quite a few sector experts as we've done this uh, trends report um, that there's really going to be a reckoning this year at COP, uh, the seeds of which were laid in Glasgow. Do you sense that there will be a mobilization of support among leaders and activists in in Africa to speak in one voice? Or do you think we'll hear a real diversity of points of view about um, the African experience and, and what's needed for climate justice?
0: so I, I i think glasgow was a was an extremely important moment for the climate debate and certainly for uh different parts of of uh the climate debate and what it will take to to achieve paris agreement objectives and one thing i i don't think we we need, we can lose sight of is that glasgow was an aberration uh glasgow, we had 18 to 24 months to prepare for Glasgow uh, which is is really unusual uh, and now if, if we continue on, on the, the the regular schedule it, it will be you know 10 months 12 months nine months um, before preparing for the next cop and so I, I do think that that extra runway on the way to Glasgow uh, helped different constituencies think about uh, what it was that they needed to, to accomplish uh, and so we did see, a lot of the seeds, I, I, I agree with 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 you, Christine. I think we, we did see a lot of the seeds being planted in Glasgow, which will be taken forward. And I do think that there will be a high uh, propensity for uh, looking for a common ground, common positions that will pre- be presented uh, this year in Sharm El Sheikh. Uh, some of the broad things that, that will likely come out have to do with, with financing, with l- the loss and damage uh, a, agenda that that was that was put on hold quite honestly in glasgow um but also this this uh recognition of of the inequalities that persist uh both within countries uh, between regions uh across regions I, and and this is where an africa cup is going to be extremely helpful uh, because it, this year we we expect to have the space uh, to be able to discuss exactly how sustainable development can move forward, recognizing uh, that the reality of, of the global north is very different than the reality of the global south, um, but both can still work towards uh, a Paris-aligned uh, development platform. Um, but we have to have that discussion, and I do think there are going to be some important uh concerted efforts um, uh on uh, on the part of different african countries and other regions as well uh to to move forward in a concerted manner
1: Right. And of course, we've got this reality, right? Which is that Africa contributes about 4% to emissions, but it's, it's obviously one of the most vulnerable continents when it comes to climate change. And even more interesting is that Africa has, has states that produce and sell oil, uh, you know, ranging from Uganda to, to Tanzania and Kenya that have newly discovered oil and gas that they're banking on to build their economies. So do you think such different economic interests will divide Africa and weaken the calls for a more decisive move towards SDGs and say, renewable energy?
0: So I, 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 want to, I want to first touch on, on your first point, which is how much Africa contributes to uh, global emissions. I, and I, I, I heard something that was, that was really provocative. Um, I think it was just last week in, in a, in a webinar. Uh, uh, organized by Africa Europe Foundation. And, and I, and I think it's appropriate to, to remind listeners that if Africa were to disappear from the face of the earth tomorrow, we would still have a climate crisis. And so, you know, the, the, the point of, of wh- where do, where does the, the transition need to take place? I, uh, you know, is, is, is part of that reflection, uh, which is it, it, it's, it certainly needs to make strides in, in those countries and in those regions that are, that are the largest contributors, um, to, to the, the, the global, um, uh, carbon budget, uh, with their emissions. Um, so I, I think that's, that's, that's really important to, to keep in mind. Um, in, in terms of of your question about uh, you know you know how the economic interests and newly discovered oil and gas uh, are, may be affecting uh, the way different countries view uh, you know the, the, the whole Paris discussion i I don't know that there will be many uh, divisions around the economic interest per se um, but i I do think That there, what would really be helpful is a more sustained movement, and I'm thinking of Africa in particular now, a more sustained movement towards greater integration. Uh, And we do see efforts which abound, um, you know, with the African Union, uh, with the uh, Africa uh, Continental uh, Free Trade uh, Effort, uh, Free Trade Area Effort, uh, Africa 2060. Uh, these are all extremely important, um, but it needs to be sustained uh, in terms of, of demonstrating greater integration. And where it goes off the rails uh, at times is is when there there are too many issues to be dealt with um, in individual countries. And 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 this is certainly what we see in 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 you know just this week in Burkina Faso. Um, so so I, I I think there you know the the. the there won't be the, the types of divisions around economic interests because there is there's, there's good consensus. It will be. Uh, will there be any distractions that that um, that, that push that common voice uh, off track?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, point well made. Um, you know, and I think this also connects to uh, the bigger topic, which is really this whole conversation about a just energy transition. And Essie for all, uh, Lolo in particular, are very involved in this conversation globally. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, is that a conversation we can have? Is it feasible at the moment uh, to be thinking about a just transition and um, or, or do we need to be rephrasing things or thinking about things differently to put nations most vulnerable to climate change at ease? What, what role do you think uh, this conversation will have at the future COP? And I guess really what is, was your point of view on this um, taking center stage?
0: Very, very important point, Christina. And, and I think this is, this is something that we will, where we will see a lot of movement. Uh, in terms of, of, really addressing, you know, what is uh, the just energy transition? And, and, and w- w- SE for all in particular, we're, we're uh, much more comfortable and we're starting to, to be much more specific in our terminology. Uh, and recognize that the just energy transition really came about uh, in COP24, uh, was reflecting kind of the winners and losers in different energy transitions that were happening in wealthier countries, in energy-abundant countries where coal miners or where coal interests were affected, and therefore how can we make it more just for them, uh, that formula doesn't fit easily in developing countries. And so what, what we think needs to be clarified is what is the pathway to a just and equitable energy transition Because by addressing the equitable nature of energy transition, we start opening the space for all these other priorities that are reality in in energy-poor countries, such as uh, the pending agenda for universal access to energy, such as reliable electricity for health clinics and for educational facilities, such as the need to industrialize and, and continue economic growth. Uh, these, these are issues that, that many of the global north countries no longer need to deal with as directly as many of the African countries. And so a uh, just and equitable energy transition, I think, uh, will really help us in terms of, of recognizing those differences between different economies. And, and as I said, opening the space for addressing the inequities that exist. Uh, uh, in different countries that are still developing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, uh, energy equity was was one of our, is one of our trends for 2022. And, um, and I think that's been s- such an important evolution of this discussion globally to get away from uh, what I think has been fairly polarizing in terms of thinking about energy equality versus energy equity, which if you're thinking of quality, that, that leaves very little frame for adaptation and flexibility in terms of at least getting first connections to people. Um, so it, I, I think I'm with you. I think that's going to be uh, not only a vital part you know, part of the agenda, um, but increasingly something we hear more about. And so it's great that se for all is, is raising that as well. Um, And, you know, uh, down this path in this discussion, uh, you know, thinking again about COP and, you know, the last one and what the next one will look like. uh, A lot of us had our hearts broken a bit by India um, and some of uh, the statements made uh, at the COP. Um, So I'm I'm curious if if you could share your thoughts, um, you know, not just on on how developed nations should be thinking about their role. In this just transition, having built economies on the backs of fossil fuels, uh, but also how to be thinking about engaging with some of the calls that India raised—you know, changing a pretty significantly a target date for uh, ending coal and and changing the language as well about what they're willing to do. I'm just wondering how how do we sort of square that?
0: I mean, it, it's, it, it's that's a, a fascinating um, kind of discussion to have, uh, and. And, and as, as I, I, I was fortunate enough to, to be in the, the World Leader Summit in Glasgow. And, and what was extremely clear listening to world leader after world leader, uh, making their statement, you know, it, and your listeners may be aware, but it's, sometimes it's an empty room. Sometimes it's, it's, it's speechifying to an empty room. But the target audience is always the people back home. Uh, and so each you, you could clearly draw uh, a line through the statements uh, and recognize how each leader was positioning this issue uh, for um, his or her constituents um, back home. And I see the same thing with with the way um, Prime Minister Modi uh kind of framed this issue and while while well, well I you know I, I I tend to agree with with you Christina, in in terms of of uh you know wishing for something or or or, or wanting to see something that's a, that's a, a a little bit closer to the 2050 target I I can understand completely uh you know where Modi is coming from and I think it goes back to uh kind of learning more or being more informed collectively of a kind of the the, the global carbon budget um which historically uh you know if, if you look at it in historic terms um you know it should be available for economies like India's uh, and others um to pursue their development aspirations i uh, and and so I, I think there's a certain amount of of, um, uh, of ground truthing in that uh, in terms of understanding, you know, where where some of these leaders are, are coming from when they make these statements. On the plus side, I think that the direction of travel is much more important than a particular target in terms of the year. Uh and i'll 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 pause there and I'll delete there <laughs> um and i'll 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 just start this last part again because I think that what Prime Minister Modi and other leaders are dealing with uh, has as much to do with the direction of travel as it does the the date for a a particular target, and so I think we need to value that direction of travel. Uh, and start asking ourselves: It's okay. It's if, if it's 2050, if it's 2060, if it's 2070, uh, what will happen in the next few years? And I think that's that's the real question. Uh, and if if you, if if you talk to uh, you know your friends, my friends, who are, are working in uh, on the business end of things. You know they will not be impressed with with a a vision of of twenty seventy. They'll want to know okay, what's happening this year and next year uh, so that we can make decisions. and And that's where the rubber meets the road. Uh, and And so I, I do think direction of travel is important, uh, but even more important is what's happening over the next three to five years. and And that's where we have to keep our eyes. Open and and aware of what's happening in places like India over the next three to five years.
1: Yeah, and it's it's interesting to kind of build on what you said. And for our listeners who might not be as familiar, uh, the topic really was a sort of threefold. So right before the beginning of COP, India released uh, a, a quite a hard hitting video um, that really took to task Western nations, including the United States, um, and really uh, I think raised the specter. Of needing essentially, uh, you know, fair play and adequate funding to uh, reduce the impacts of climate in their countries that we've mostly created in our countries, um, and then there were a couple other pieces to that. One was, uh, you know, switching the date of commitments uh, that Glenn was just speaking about, and then uh, also choosing language that was phasing down instead of phasing out coal. And so it's interesting what you say because at the end of the day, you know, our team in India has said, look. And one of the trends for 2022 was very much on the theme of You know, international commitments will look one way and say one thing exactly for the reasons you raised, right, because of of the home audience. But what's actually happening on the ground is quite different. And in fact, uh, you know, the the growth rate for, for example, the renewable energy sector or the decentralized renewable energy sector is just thriving in India. And when we look especially at productive use applications, say, for example, for cold chain or hospitals, as you raised earlier, Glenn, uh, you know that's a thriving market, and the ability to get renewables into that growth area is is quite something people are bullish on. So it, it is an interesting sort of uh, global tug of war. I think you have a very hard job, you know, managing that sort of global uh, narrative, and yet really supporting what's what's happening on the ground, which is incredibly important work.
0: Christina, if, if if I can if I can build on that because I I think the examples you you raise are are extremely important to illustrate that you know progress is not linear. Uh, you know we may be arriving at different tipping points in different parts of uh, the sustainable energy space, uh, and we need to be okay with that. And we need to gravitate towards those areas that 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 are tipping points. And they may begin uh, uh, on the government side. They may begin on the private side. They may begin. Uh, with the technology, um, and and that should be fine too. Uh, so so perhaps that's that's where I'm I'm a bit more sanguine in the sense that you know once we get things moving, um, you know the, the rate of progress will be exponential, uh, and and hopefully those target dates uh, you know will all of a sudden be be surpassed by by earlier dates when when we realize uh you know where we can make this this type of exponential progress yeah
1: yeah and and at the same time narrative does matter and you know phase down versus phase out caused uh, quite a stir in the global media um and of course one of our trends that uh we're talking about here is really the role of mainstream media and the incredible growth of coverage not just coverage about climate, but correct, scientifically based, fact based coverage has really, really grown, um, especially in this last year. Um, so, how do you think media is going to be playing into, in particular, you know, COP twenty seven coming up, but overall, our, our global effort to achieve the SDGs, uh, in particular, SDG seven by twenty thirty.
0: I think there is there is a lot of opportunity for for media to start dissecting what the global energy transition means at a global level and what it looks like at a local level. Uh, and, and so you know, part of the challenge is, is recognizing that we do have global measurements uh, for certain things, um, but the pathways to just an equitable energy transition locally or within countries or within specific economies uh, will clearly look different we need to understand those differences a lot better. And I think that's where the media can, can start uh, uh, digging in a a bit more aggressively um, uh, to be able to understand that, that, you know, yes, there, there is some progress in certain sectors. I, you know, how can we highlight those and and start moving uh, towards in, in the right direction uh, in those sectors? Uh, as well as as where things are 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 delayed or or um, you know or or circling, um, so but I but I do think we need to balance much better kind of the, this this global narrative with what's happening on the ground in different economies. Uh, that's that's so important to to be aware
1: of. Yeah, well, and uh, you know, in the theme of global versus local um, and energy access trends. Uh, one of our Biggest trends identified by the sector was really about e mobility. And uh, in Asia um, and India uh, in particular, but uh, also throughout Africa, especially East Africa, we're seeing an explosion of activity in e mobility. Um, and while there are charging infrastructure challenges, we have seen innovative ways of keeping uh, this kind of e mobility viable. Um, so I'm curious, you know, I, I don't know quite how close to the ground you are on, on this particular topic. topic, Topic, but um, e-mobility seems to be the cause celeb basically everywhere in the world right now, and I'm just curious what your take might be on this particular trend um, and how you think it fits into this conversation we've been having uh, about COP.
0: So, a a couple of thoughts there on that one, uh, Christina. I'm I'm a a big fan of e-mobility. I I lived for six years in Nairobi um, before coming to Vienna, Uh, and so. You know, am am well aware of all the challenges of the transport system. You know, in a in large cities in in Africa, certainly. Um, and wh- while there's a a big opportunity in e mobility and 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 certainly, you know, a, a lot of innovation going on, I think we also need to keep in mind that it 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 will be limited or it will depend on. Um, on the environment within which it's, it, it's being utilized. And so, um, you know, road safety is always an issue in Nairobi uh, and, and will limit the progress of, uh, of, of, of innovative uh, transportation systems in Nairobi. Uh, reliability of electricity um, is improving, but will still be an issue uh, certainly in Kenya and in other countries. Uh, if we talk about charging infrastructure if we talk about ease of use um so I, I i on the one hand i I certainly you know want to encourage more innovation um but also you know suggest that we we can't take our eye off of uh all the other kind of s- supporting functions that are required for the these technology to to move forward what what i think is is the most uh important kind of um uh, outcome of, of this evolving story is that it's, it's technology that's being adapted for use in African countries. I, uh, and, and, and so that's hugely important. Uh, and that's where the, the two wheelers come in. You know, it's not the Teslas. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very much, uh, uh, useful for uh, the local economy in, in the different countries in Africa where it's taking mm-hmm. off.
1: So if, if just looking back on, on COP, a, a sort of final question around finance, um, because we need money to make the changes in the world that we all want and need to see. Uh, however, uh, many think that it fell short of the, the billions uh, in targets uh, trying to be raised. Um, yet we saw trillions raised for COVID-19 relief. Um, so we do have evidence that large sums of money can be mobilized quickly to improve equity in the world. Where do you think the biggest challenge is? I know se for all does a, a regular uh, financing report that all of us pay close attention to. So I'm curious, where do you think the biggest challenge is, is in locking the capital that we need to to really transform the world and achieve the SDGs?
0: That's a great question. It's a huge question, um, but that's a great question. And when I when I think about, and, and, and there are a couple of ways of, of of looking at that question, because when I think about the um, the one hundred billion dollar target annual target that was promised uh, many years ago, that hasn't happened, uh, and and we're still waiting for it to happen, um, clearly a lot of the the reasons behind that uh, have to have to do with our decision making systems uh, and our decision making processes, uh, um, both at, at national as well as at at, at global levels. Um, and, and 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 it's really discouraging. I uh, and there's you know there's there's one um, uh, thinker that I, I, I like to to just to stay aware aware of, of, of what he, he says and, and it's it's Yuval Harari from, from Israel. Uh, and and he said the other day, he said, um, you know we have one advantage over the coronavirus. And that advantage is that we can coordinate with each other. We know how to do that. Um, and as, as you know, potentially inspiring as that is, um, I think the, 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 the caveat there is, uh, we have that potential to coordinate with each other, um, but we're, we're not doing it well enough. Uh, we're clearly not doing it well enough on, on many of the issues that are affecting us all, uh, collectively. And so I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of how do we reform, identify, look for different ways for this decision making to unlock uh, a lot of the public money um, that's, uh, that's needed, but also to leverage the private money that's out there. And in that regard, uh, you mentioned our, our energizing finance work. Um, you know, it it, it is uh, deeply discouraging that financing has not been moving to the countries where it mo- it's most needed, uh, and so we need to uh, you know be able to understand. Okay, if 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 we want financing to uh, for sustainable energy for energy access uh, in into the countries um, that had the least access. We're going to need to have a higher risk of tolerance. Uh, we're going to need to understand better the market. We're going to need better data, and we need our commercial banks on the ground uh, to understand uh, exactly what the opportunities are um, uh, in country. And so, yes, there's there's a, a political dimension on the decision making, and then of course, um, you know, there's a, a private dimension uh in terms of of crowding in private capital uh when it needs to be leveraged Uh,
1: well said um and thanks for that and and for those who aren't familiar with the se for all energizing finance work highly recommend it uh you can find i think that report's been going on for three or four maybe even five years now um and i believe that people can find that on your website correct Mm
0: -hmm. Mm mm-hmm
1: Yeah, perfect. And I'm also reading Homo Deus right now. So <laughs> I'm also a fan. Um, well, look, my final question for you before I, I let you go is just your personal take on trends. You know, we have sourced from several partners, um, and it come up with an amalgamation of, of what those trends are, but everybody's got their own take on things. So I'm curious if you had to pick maybe three trends, uh, they could be cutting edge, they could be surprising, or they could be obvious. What do you think um, the future of 2022 holds for the decentralized renewable energy sector?
0: So I think, I think there, there are probably three things that come to mind, three trends that come to mind. Um, and the first has to do with making the global energy transition more local. Uh, and it, 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 you know, It's reflected in, in some of, of the ideas I shared with you in terms of the just and equitable uh, energy transition. Uh, making sure we have a better understanding of, you know, what's happening in countries and how it's linked to global targets, but the differentiation of what's happening in countries. I think that's going to increase in terms of its noise level, uh, this year. Uh, understand, you know, how the global energy transition becomes local. The second trend, uh, is what we were just talking about, which is financing. Uh, and, you know, while, while there are some, uh, you know, really encouraging signs, and and uh, the the Global Energy Alliance for People and Planet, uh, which was launched at COP, uh, which your listeners may be familiar with, but it's it's a it's a, a wonderful move by philanthropy to see what its funding can do to be helpful both in energy access and energy transition. Uh, those are you know those are positive developments, and so you know that's that's moving forward. Much more is needed. Um, but that will be something that that's discussed, uh, you know, in, over 2022. And the third trend, which is, I think, uh, uh, more of a, a concerning trend, is the digital divide. And I I, I can't, you know, s- stop worrying about the trend lines between those of us who uh, who are in society, who are already, you know, w- well on our way of, of harnessing artificial intelligence, big data, quantum computing uh, to make our lives easier. And those of us who don't have access to reliable le- electricity. And so, you know, as this, as those trajectories, you know, continue, uh to grow and be divergent um you know this is going to be a serious problem and so uh it's this 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 i would say <laughs> negative trend of the digital divide um that is is something that 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 does worry me uh but it's something that i think that will will see playing out as uh as ai continues uh, over this year and as we as we still have a, a gap in terms of of energy access
1: uh, as oh. well. Um, Glenn, thank you so much for your time today. I, I hope you'll come back again sometime in the future and uh, join us for the podcast. And um, thank all of you for listening. Uh, reminder that you can find a wealth of sector news, analysis, and data on our website, powerforall.org, as well as the platform for energy access, knowledge, or PEAK. Uh, you can also sign up to receive our monthly newsletter. And if you'd like to support our work, you can always make a donation via our homepage. Until next time on the Power for All podcast.